beginning with verse 26. And we're going to be teaching you on the incarnation. The incarnation. Incarnation means God taking on human form. God taking on human form. Okay? That's what incarnation means. So the incarnation. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Everybody please have your Bibles. If you don't have one, you have Bibles in the back and uh, Usher will be glad to get you one. Okay, Luke 1 and 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you for your awesome word today. We ask your blessing to rest upon the reading of it. I ask you to anoint me, to inspire me, God, to deliver it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. The incarnation. God was manifested in the flesh. Incarnation. God uh, adding to himself another nature called humanity. Do you understand that? Amen. A.B. Bruce says it's not deified humanity, but God into humanity. Not man taking God into him, but God taking on manhood. Very important to understand that. All New Testament writers, without exception, attest to this truth. His birth is a historical fact, and we receive the details of that in the New Testament. If you say uh, amen to that, I would appreciate that. Praise the Lord. In the virgin birth, all right, uh, is announced to Mary in Luke 1, 26 through 35. So let's look at that in particular. How is it going to happen? Now, we talked about this last Sunday in the Old Testament prophets. We had these two streams. One stream declared that he would be God. The other stream declared that he was humanity. And the Old Testament prophets, when they wrote that, I don't even think they totally understood it, those two streams. Now, how can the Messiah be God and be man at the same time? So the Jewish interpreters, when they looked at the Old Testament, they oftentimes had difficulty 
and understanding the incarnation that God would become a man. They didn't have any problem understanding the oneness of God. Okay? The Jewish people in the Old Testament always believed in monotheism. They always believed in one God. They never believed in three persons in the Godhead. Amen? They always believed in one God, but they didn't understand how that one God would also become a man. That was the difficulty that they had. So when we come into the New Testament, then the incarnation is explained. How did it happen? How did God, the Old Testament prophets declared He would be God, become a man? Old Testament prophets declared that. How could this person be the God-man? And so we see it in Luke chapter 1, how did it happen? All right? Look very carefully. The Bible says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Okay? So what we have then is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That's how the incarnation took place. By a virgin birth. Okay, so we have Mary who's a virgin, literal virgin, not just a young woman, a literal virgin who never knew a man. Now, is Mary human or is she deity? Okay, so I'm going to try to make it where we can understand it. Mary is human, right? Okay. Now, God, the Father, is, is he human? No, he's deity, he's spirit. Okay. So, God, with me here, who is spirit, not a human being, overshadows Mary, who's a human being. And when that Holy Ghost overshadows her, she is now with child. You understand that? So that this child in the womb of Mary is God. Now, he adds another nature to himself from Mary. And he is now the God-man inside of Mary. Now, the way the incarnation took place, the Bible is very clear, is that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. Now, listen carefully. Who is the Father of Jesus Christ? Is God the Father of Jesus Christ? Or is the Holy Ghost the Father of Jesus Christ? I'm asking that question for a reason. Because the Bible says the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. And let's look at the words exactly. Verse 35. That the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Okay? It's easy for you if you understand that God, you talk about the Holy Ghost is still is just the Spirit of God in action. It's easy if you understand that. But if you try to, as the various doctrines have tried to do, put on glasses and, and interpret the Bible by reading into the Bible things that are not there, and they say that there are three separate persons in the Godhead. Okay? Lord, help me today. First of all, God is never referred to as a person. with the exception being Job 13 and 8 in the Old Testament. Okay? Now, we'll get to that in just a moment. I'm just kind of laying foundation for you. 
God is not called a person in the Bible. Okay? Except Job 13 and 8, we'll explain that. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible will talk about that as well. Only two places in the Bible where God is ever referred to as a person. We're going to look at the actual translation in the Hebrew, what that means in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, what that means. When you talk about God, if you believe that there are three separate persons in the Godhead, first of all, to refer to God as a person is not biblical. God is not referred to as a person in the Bible. Okay? If you say God is a person, you have a tendency to think about Him along the lines of being human. God is not a person. He has personality, I believe, but He's not a person. Praise the Lord. Anyway, so if you believe that there are three separate persons in the Godhead, one person of the Father, one person of the Son, one person of the Holy Ghost, and that they are co-equal, co-eternal, that means they've always been together, amen? Co-equal, co-eternal, but they're separate, then you've got a problem here. Because you, who is the Father of Jesus? Is it God the Father? Or is it the Holy Ghost? Okay, God is a spirit. Holy Ghost is just a term that refers to the same Spirit of God, God in action. So the Holy Ghost is not another person in the Godhead. It's the same Spirit of God or God in action. All right? So the Bible says, <clears throat> how did this incarnation take place? The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. And she was with child. Well, the Holy Ghost is just another name for God, the Spirit of God. Woo. Now, if you believe that there are three separate, that the Father and the Holy Ghost are separate persons, you've got a big problem here. Then the Father God is not the Father of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is the Father of Jesus Christ. Okay? And Trinitarians get around that by saying, okay, God the Father is the Father of Jesus Christ. When it says the Holy Ghost overshadowed her, He was just the agent that worked in power over her. Well, that, that won't stand up. Amen? Alright, if you're a father, you, you are involved in conceiving a child. Would you accept the fact that you were the father or the daddy of the child if somebody else, some other agent, was the one that actually produced it by his power? Would you say, okay, I'm the daddy, but some other agent was the power that brought it about? Well, obviously, that won't stand up, will it? Amen? Hallelujah. So if God the Father is the Father of, of the humanity of Jesus Christ, that means the Holy Ghost has to be God the Father. Praise the Lord. I mean, God the Father would never say, okay, you know, I'm the Father, but it was really the Holy Ghost that was the agent of power that produced it. Does that make sense? I mean, do you get it? See, if somebody were to walk up to you as a man and say, you're the daddy of my child, but you but 
this other man was the one that actually, you know, had did the action. Then you would look at them and say that I'm not the daddy of that child. Amen? Because if you're the father of the child, that means you're the one in the action that was involved in conceiving the child. So when it says the Holy Ghost overshadowed her again from oneness theology, and I believe it's not just oneness theology, it's biblical, that the Holy Ghost is none other than the Spirit of God, God the Father in action. Not a second or a third person in the Godhead. Alright, having said that, then how many of y'all still believe in three separate persons, co-equal, co-eternal in the Godhead? You know, amen? Anybody here? If that's all it takes, y'all are easy to... Praise the Lord. No. One God, amen, that one God became a Father in creation. Now, Lord, help me today because God, when did God become a father? Was he always a father? No. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. He didn't, he didn't take on that personality, if you will, of being a father until there was a filial relationship. There was a son. Amen. Now, you could say he's the father of creation. Amen. Alright, so but you have God. In the beginning, there was God. He doesn't become a father until He begets something. He's called the Father of creation. He's called, uh, he's called the Father of lights. Anyway, anyway. You understand what I'm trying to say? So Father is just a manifestation of God begetting something. Does that make sense? Okay. Praise the Lord. God the Father then is the Holy Ghost in action overshadowing Mary. What is interesting is that that seed of Mary is the seed of God Himself. It's God Himself. You with me? Incarnated. Taking on humanity. He got His humanity from His mother's side. He got His deity from His daddy's side. He never called Joseph His father. Never. He always said God was his father. All right? Does that make sense? So then, how did it happen? The Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of God in action, overshadowed Mary. She's with child. And who is this child? Well, he's going to be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Even his name declares he's Yahweh, because Jesus means Yahweh Savior. Okay? Now we keep reading. The Bible says in Matthew 1, let's go over there. And is this confusing to you? Matthew 1, 21 through 23. Verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be a child, and shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is what? God with us. So this child that Luke calls this holy thing that's in Mary is also he's not just a man, he's God with us. God in human form. Correct? Everybody with me up to this point. Okay, so how did the incarnation happen then? How did God 
come in the form of a man by the virgin birth. Right? And the supernatural power of God, the Spirit of God overshadowing Mary, caused that conception to take place. He was God not from birth. He was God from conception. At the time of conception, when the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary, He was God in the womb of Mary. Amen. In human form. Does that make sense? So now, in that Old Testament, those two streams of Messiah will be God and Messiah will be man. Now we understand by the New Testament how God was going to do that. He was going to supernaturally overshadow a virgin, amen, who had never known a man. And that child that would be in her would not be the product of human conception, would be the product of deity overshadowing flesh, amen, sinless perfection overshadowing sinful imperfection and if you will if you understand this moving into her womb in the form of a man does that make sense that's how it happened that's what the bible says right any questions i'll get i'm just going to open the floor any questions up to this point none you got it you understand it that's good okay well, Pastor, can you give me all the details how it all worked? I don't, I can't tell you that. I have to receive it by faith. That the Spirit of God in action, the Holy Ghost, Amen. moved upon a virgin and she was with child. Yeah. It was supernatural. She had never known a man. Amen. And no wonder Luke said that holy thing. The holy thing. Right? Nobody ever declared any, any, any human, ever, any child that was ever born, no child that was ever born to man was ever called a holy thing. Only Jesus Christ was called a holy thing. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. Okay, so now that you understand it totally, we can go home. Right? <clears throat> okay, so this virgin birth then is announced to Mary in Luke chapter 126 through 35 uh, that he would be placed within the womb he'd be the seed of the Father God and he is the word made flesh because the word is the seed amen and the word was God okay sinless perfection will come out of imperfect sinful humanity and then announced to Joseph in Matthew 1 18 through 24 so let's go over there what am I doing? I'm establishing that all the New Testament writers attested to the fact that Jesus was virgin born, that he was the Son of God, God come in the flesh. That's what I'm doing. Okay, I'm now to Joseph. Let's look at verse 18. You there? Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Okay? Now here he's dating this young teenage girl. She comes up pregnant. And she's not married. She's a spouse to Joseph, but she's not married. So she comes up pregnant 
and Joseph in order to keep her from being stoned to death makes a decision amen to put her away privately alright you with me now the scripture tells us verse 20 but while he thought on these things Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. And this angel makes this announcement. He appears to him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now he's got an announcement from the angel that what is happening here, the child in Mary is conceived of the Holy Ghost, not conceived by a man not a human man. Amen? Are you with me? Now verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Now look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now what you think about Joseph? He gets this announcement. He has to take her to be his wife, and he does it by faith. He does it by faith. And so he is... When he takes her, he's declaring by faith, I believe what the angel said. That she's still a virgin. I believe that Mary is pure. Okay? So he's, you getting it? He's receiving the announcement by faith that Mary is still pure. He's receiving by faith that what is in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost and that he will be a virgin-born son. He's receiving and acting on that by faith. All he has is a word. All he has is an announcement, right? But he's acting on it by faith. Okay? Now, so we have the announcement in Luke chapter 1 to Mary. We have the announcement to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Let's go to uh, Jesus uh, speaks of it himself in John 16. John speaks of his virgin birth. John 16. You ready? <clears throat> I pray to God that you've listened real carefully in the services in the times before we taught on like I think it's the fourth or fifth lesson on the doctrine of God because you're going to need what we taught on the doctrine of God as we get into the doctrine of Christology or the doctrine of Christ. That's what we're teaching. It's Christology, the doctrine or the teaching that uh, teaches about Christ, okay? You're going to need that. Praise the Lord. Now, John 16, let's look at this. Jesus speaks of it. He says in verse 27, For the Father Himself loveth you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. 
So Jesus is declaring there where he came from. And now you've got to realize when he talks, sometimes he speaks as a man, sometimes he speaks as God. Here he's speaking as a man. He's still God, but he's speaking as a man, and he says, here's where I came from. I came out from God. That is the declaration that he was virgin born, that he's the son of God. As to his humanity, he came out from God. Does that make sense? So even Jesus himself attested to the reality of where he came from. As to his humanity, he came from God. Virgin born. Now look at 842. John 842. Now I promise you, Lord willing, not that I feel prepared enough or, or anything, I could probably spend another week on this uh, personally. But anyway... You're going to learn a lot. Okay, so if you, if you come here to learn, you're going to learn some things, okay? Now in John 8, verse 42. You there? Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. He's talking about his humanity, where he came from. He's talking about his virgin birth. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came out of myself, but he sent me. Amen? So Jesus declares where he came from. He came from God and that God sent him. In what way? Sent him as a man. Not as the second person in the Godhead that coexisted with God in eternity past. Sent him as a man. Not sending the second person in the Godhead. Are y'all with me? Let me give you some understanding. God the Father didn't have this collateral relationship in heaven. Mm. Brother, come here, please. And Brother Jared, come here, please. Let me show the concept of the Trinity. Concepts of the Trinity. Now, the thing about Trinitarians is sometimes they will confess that they believe in one God. So their confession is one thing, but their concepts are another. And their, the mind, the mind, the concepts in their mind don't add up to their profession. You understand? So there's a difference between confession and concept. So their mind says one thing, and then the confession says a totally another thing. But okay, give me one more person. Brother, come on up. Okay. Now what we have here is Trinitarian thought. Please, right here. Um, in, in Just kind of in a circle, please. Okay. There we go. That in eternity past, you have... Who wants to be the Father? Brother Jared, be the Father. You want to be the Son? You want to be the Holy Ghost? Now, and, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful or mean-spirited or anything, but I'm going to show you the concept of the Trinity. This is basically the way Trinitarians think, that God existed okay so you have the father the son and the holy ghost i hope i didn't get them all mixed up and that they were you know in heaven in a collateral relationship they were talking back and forth to each other and and loving each other what's interesting though in in the old testament there's no reference you know anyway i don't want to get into that hat that that gets complicated okay like they were all having a face-to-face -face conversation in eternity 
a collateral relationship, okay? Now, first of all, God is invisible, so where do you... I mean, how can you see God? How can you see His face? You know, and the Holy Ghost is spirit, so how can you see the Holy Ghost? So if the Son pre-existed with a bodily form, He's the only one that had visible form. But anyway, Trinitarians have to answer that question. But in their concepts of their mind, they will say that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, had a collateral relationship and they had face to, they were talking face to face like this. And one day the Father said to the Son, pre-existent Son, okay? You go down there. I'm sending you to die for people. Basically, you go do the dirty work while I'm up here enjoying the tranquility of heaven. Okay? And so the pre-existent Son leaves heaven. Well, the Father's still in heaven and the Holy Ghost still in heaven. But the pre-existent Son leaves heaven, comes down here, puts on human flesh, and goes to the cross and dies. Does that make sense? Using the term sent to mean sending the pre-existent Son to the earth to die. Amen? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God, the Father, was manifested in the flesh. Amen? Holy Ghost is just the Spirit of God in action. God was God Himself was manifested in the flesh. Amen. In the virgin womb of Mary, He's born, He grows up as a man, He's still God. Amen? Please, okay, do you all understand that? That's the concept of the Trinity. So going back to what Jesus said in John 8, 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. He's not talking about coming forth from God as the pre-existent divine Son. He's talking about coming from God as to His human birth. That He was virgin born. That's what that's talking about. And then it says that He was sent. Correct? Neither came I of Myself, but He sent Me. When did He send Him? Send Him. From eternity past? No, He sent Him in time. In John chapter 1, the Bible says that John the Baptist was sent by God. Was John the Baptist pre-existent with God eternally? No. When did God send John? While he was a man on the earth. So when it says he, or let's look at the word he carefully. If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. This is talking about where he came from, his virgin birth. When he was born, then he was sent as a man, not as the preexistent divine son. Okay. Does that make sense? So anyway, what are you doing, Pastor? I'm just telling you that not only do we have the announcement to Mary, the announcement to Joseph declaring his virgin birth, but we have Jesus Christ Himself attesting to the fact that He was God come in the flesh. Where He came from, He came from God. 
He's still God, but as a man, He came from God by the virgin birth. Okay? You understand? Now, I've, I've always wondered how in the world you could have three up there in heaven correlating, you know, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father. But what about the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost, the Bible never says the Holy Ghost loved the Son and the Father. Amen. They're like somehow they were in love. They were loving each other in heaven, talking to each other, having conversation with, you know, and like they could see face to face. How can you see God? God is invisible. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So when it talks about coming out of God or proceeding from God, it simply means His virgin birth. Not His pre-existent divine, not pre-existently the divine Son coming down at the earth and coming in the form of a man. Does that make sense? But God Himself coming in the form of a man. Not a pre-existent divine Son that was separate from the Father coming in the form of a man. But God Himself coming in the form of a man. Amen? So Jesus attested the fact that He's God come in the flesh. Where He came from. Virgin birth. Now, okay. If that's not enough, let's go over to Matthew 22. I love teaching on the Godhead. Matthew 22:42. Are you there? I'll back up to verse 41 so you see the context. What are we teaching on? The incarnation. When God became a man, and when God added to Himself another nature, the nature of humanity. Okay? Now, look at verse 41 of Matthew 22. Are you there? And while you're turning there, I'll talk to you a little bit about something. I, I made a call one time to a man. He did not believe in celebrating holidays, and he was very knowledgeable in this area of, of Christmas and the pagan roots of Christ, Christmas so on and so forth and so I got his phone number and I called him and a uh, very well known Bible teacher got him on the telephone was talking to him about various things and I asked him one question do you believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh he said no I do not I said you don't believe that Jesus because I'm trying to find out where the man is okay so I'll, I can accept what you teach about Christmas being pagan, but I also want to find out where you are. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is He and what did He do? That's what we're teaching you in Christology. He said, I don't believe He was God come in the flesh. I said, I got one question for you. And it's the same question that Jesus asked the Pharisees of His day. Okay, let's look at it. Matthew 22 verse 41. <clears throat> While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Amen? Okay, that's why we're teaching you Christology today. What think ye of Christ? Who is He? Your eternal destiny depends on it. Your salvation depends on it. Okay? So what think ye of Christ? Jesus asked the Pharisees. We continue. Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of 
David. Okay, the Messiah, the Messiah, Christ, Christos, the Messiah, Mashiach, the Messiah. Who is he? Who, who's, um, as Jesus words it here, whose son is he? The Messiah. Who's, whose son is he? They sent him the son of who? David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying. Now what you need to understand here is this. In Jewish thinking, for them to call anybody Lord, remember, they only believe in one God. They only believe in one Lord. One God. Okay? And so for any person to be called Lord, Biblically, or even in the Jewish mind, a concept of Jewish mind, they understood that when you called somebody Lord, you were calling Him Yahweh. You were calling Him the one God of the Bible. So Jesus asked the Pharisees, whose son is He? They said, David's son. He said unto them, how doth David in spirit call Him Lord? Saying the Lord, all capitalized, Yahweh, said unto my Lord, Master, Adonai, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Amen? Jesus is saying, you say he's the son of David. Alright? You believe that the Messiah is going to be the son of David. He's human. But... The Bible teaches he's not only human, the son of David. The son of David is where the humanity comes in. Jesus is teaching them he's not just the son of David, a human being. He's David's Lord. He's David's God. Amen? And, and so we see here, look at it. David said, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou in my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. When I asked that Bible teacher that, he couldn't answer that question. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying that he is not only the son of David as to his humanity, but he's David's God as well. Wow. And the Bible says when, he's, when he asked them that question, and this is coming out of the Old Testament, a prophecy about Jesus Christ, when he asked them that question, the Bible says no man was able to answer him a word, neither does any man from that day forth ask him any more question. Because they could not explain, you know, because in their mind... You know, they can accept that Jesus would be a man, the son of David, but they couldn't accept that Jesus was God. And so Jesus says, well, all right, you accept that Messiah will be a man. Well, Jesus, I mean, David called him Lord, his Lord. Right? That is clear as it could possibly be. What is Jesus doing in the passage? He is attesting to the fact that he's God come in the flesh. He's the son of David, flesh, humanity. But he's David's God, the 
one that created David at the same time. You understand that? All right. So if anybody ever says to you, I don't believe that Jesus is God, taken to this passage in Matthew 22, where he himself attests to the fact, you go to John 16 and John 8 that we read before, where Jesus himself said, attested to the fact that he was God come in the flesh or the Son of God. Amen? Virgin born. Okay? Uh, let's look at John 2.16. Am I losing you? Okay, let me give you other scriptures with that Matthew 22 passage. You can go to Psalm 110, verse 1. Okay? Which is the prophecy of that's fulfilled in Matthew 22. You see the wording there, the same. All right? Did not say his, his father was Joseph. He said his father was God. Let's look at it. John 2.16. Are we doing okay this morning? All right. I never feel prepared. No matter how much time I put in it. All right. John chapter 2, verse 16. I'm relying on the Holy Ghost to help me. He said unto them, that sold doves, take these things, hence make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Who's the uh, This temple, he said, is the father's house. Was well, the temple of who? God. He said, this is my father's house. The point being, he never called Joseph his father. Mary was his mother. Amen. A descendant of David. Got his flesh from his mother's side, but he didn't get, amen? He, his father was not Joseph. When Jesus is born to Mary, obviously Joseph uh, adopts him, amen? But Jesus never called him. Never. I don't know if you know that or not, but Jesus never called Joseph his father. Because he knew who he was that his father was God as to his humanity. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's look at John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Who's, this, who's he making reference to? He's making reference to God. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. See, they understood what Jesus claimed to be. Amen. Jesus said the Jews in John chapter 4, the Jews know what they worship. Amen. The Jews are, are monotheistic. Jesus said the Jews know what they worship. The word knows means they have a full knowledge of what they worship. 
God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You can't be a true worshiper of God if you don't have the revelation that Jesus is God or the oneness of God. Jesus said, are you in John? Read John 4 sometime. They know what they worship, and the word there know means they have a full knowledge. Amen? They have a revelation of the oneness of God. Correct? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So when Jesus declares in verse 17 in John 5, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill Him, because He not only broke the Sabbath, but He said also that God was His Father, making Himself equal with God. Wow. See, they knew there was only one God. And if Jesus claimed to be God, in their minds, He's committing blasphemy. Because in their minds, in their concept, which was wrong, then that would mean there had to be two gods. Does that make sense? They just didn't understand God incarnate, God come in human form. But they did understand that He claimed that He attested to the reality of His virgin birth. That He was God come in the flesh. Does that make sense? It does say praise the Lord. All right. Whew, help me, the Lord, to know how far to go. Okay. Let's just keep reading. Uh, no, I just just read it for yourself. Eight, same chapter, John five, eighteen through forty-seven. Okay. Now, will you do that? Okay, just, just save us some time. 6.32. Let's go with the same gospel, John 6.32. Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And you just keep reading uh, 6.32 through verse 40. Again, he's attesting to the fact that his father is God, not Joseph. Okay? Didn't have a human father. So he's a virgin born. Now, the father three times, or specifically two times, speaks this way. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? Specifically, he says it two times that way. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Remember that voice from heaven? Okay. Jesus baptized in water. He comes up out of the water, and the Spirit, like a dove. Okay? Is that when Jesus received the Holy Ghost? Is that when Jesus received the Spirit of God, when it came on Him there? No, there was never a time that Jesus was not indwelt by the Spirit of God. Okay, did you catch that? What we have is Jesus, the human Jesus, God in flesh, being water baptized, right? In water. John brings him up out of the water. The Spirit, like a dove, descends upon him. Does that mean he received the Spirit of God at that point? No. There was never a time when he did not have the Spirit of God in him. 
Okay? The Bible is very clear in John chapter 1. I believe it's verse 32. You have to read it to find out. But the Bible tells us the reason why that manifestation took place was so that John would recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. That's why you have this manifestation. Amen. Not the third person coming down. A manifestation of the omnipresent Spirit of God in the form like a dove so that John would know this is the Messiah. Okay? And then the Bible says a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Didn't say with whom. He said in whom. The voice was the voice of God. And God said, I'll show you where my location is. If you want to know where my location is, this is my beloved Son, humanity, in whom I'm well pleased. Location. Alright? Well, why do you have this voice outside of the body of Jesus? Because God is omnipresent. And when Jesus, when God became a man, He never gave up His attributes of even omnipresent. All the Spirit of God wasn't in that body of Jesus. But all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him. He was the headquarters of God. So it wasn't one person in the Trinity, the Father, speaking from heaven. And then the third person in the Trinity coming down on Him as He's baptized. Amen? Because God was in Him. The Holy Ghost was in Him. Praise the Lord. But what we see is a manifestation of the omnipresence of God speaking telling them where his location is. Okay? This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. Not with him. Now, obviously, I believe that he was with him. The scripture tells us that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. We're not going to touch that one right now. But anyway, simplification. The father attests the Father clearly says that He was in the Son. That He was in that body, the humanity of Jesus Christ. Clear. Right? Where's God? Omnipresently, He's everywhere. Jesus is God. God is in Him, but not all of God is in Him. Not all of the quantity of God is in that body, but all the quality of God is in that body. Amen? So the Father attested the fact that He was in the Son. And He says, this is my beloved Son. Not Joseph's Son. This is my beloved Son. I'm the one that begot Him. Now why? See, you look at me like, this is no big deal. You better be taking notes. Because you're going to come across some teachers that will teach you that you have a manifestation of the Trinity. The Father speaking out of heaven was the first person. And the second or the third person came down upon Jesus at baptism. And then there you have the human, the Son right there. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Three separate persons. And I just explained to you that God said He was in Him. So all the quantity of God was not in Him, but all the quality of God was in Him. 
Okay, right? Isn't it beautiful? How many of y'all love the Lord this morning? Go, go to John 1. Real fast. So you, so you don't think I'm making it up. John 1, 32. I'll start with verse 31. Ready? I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. That's why you had that visible manifestation of the omnipresent Spirit of God coming down upon him. The, the humanity of Jesus, the visible manifestation, not the third person in the Trinity, a visible manifestation of the omnipresent Spirit of God coming down so that John would know who he was. Amen. Say amen. All right. Good enough. Good enough. Good enough. Good enough. Really not good enough, but anyway. Okay. The apostles in the New Testament attest to his virgin birth, that he's God come in the flesh. Okay, you ready? Romans 1, 3 through 4. Let's just go there real fast. Are you doing good? Sure are quiet. You know, it's interesting to me that one, that one of the doctrines of the Trinitarian doctrine is that you have three co-eternal, co-existent, three separate omnipresent beings. Amen? The Spirit of God's omnipresent, but not the human Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, let's look at it. Romans 1, you there? The Bible says concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our what? Lord. Paul knows he's Lord. Paul knows he's God, which was made of the seed of David according to the what? Flesh. You know about the seed of David, you're talking about his humanity, his flesh. But Paul says not only is he the seed of David according to the flesh, but he's Lord. He's God, that one God. Amen. Galatians 4 4. The Bible says, let's turn there. Galatians 4 4. You with me? But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Correct? Correct? So that verse tells us where he came from. He came from God. Right? And he was made of a woman. Humanity. 
virgin birth. So the point being, in Galatians 4, and verse 4, again, we have Paul declaring the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, where he came from. God sent him, and he was made of a woman. Colossians 2, verse 9, and Colossians 1, 19. I'm having a good time this morning. God's helping me to teach you. Okay, Colossians 2, verse 9. Are you there? Now Paul again is attesting to the, the reality that he is God come in the flesh. Virgin born son of God. For in him, look at that, look at the way it's worded. For in him, who's he talking about? Right? Jesus, verse 6. Christ Jesus the Lord. Verse 8, Christ, for in Him, talking about Christ Jesus the Lord, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Listen to me carefully. So in that human body, Jesus, remember, there's only one body. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's only one body, visible, external, Okay? Manifestation of God. Only one visible external body in the Godhead. And it's the humanity of Jesus Christ. And all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. The word fullness, pleroma in the Greek. Pleroma means that all the fullness, the pleroma of God dwells in him, His body. The one God, the same God, the only God. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Praise the Lord. So where is God? All the fullness of the what? Godhead. He's the headquarters of God. Look at Colossians 1, 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all play Roma dwell. All the fullness of the Godhead is in Him. He's not one third of God. Right? Right? We have the Father. Well, He's one third. The Son's one third. The Holy Ghost is one third. No, He's not one third of anything. He's not one third of God. The Bible says, not part of God. It says, look at the word. All! Say with me, all. You might not understand the significance of that. All. Say with me, all. The fullness of the Godhead. Now, all is all. All is not part. All is not one third. All is not half. All is all. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. So there's one body, and inside that one body, all the all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. He doesn't just have the attributes of God. All the fullness of deity, everything that makes God to be God, that's what he's saying. Everything that makes God to be God, including His attributes, is in Him. He's not just divine having the attributes of God. He is deity. He is God. That is what the passage is teaching. He's deity. All the fullness of God. 
All the fullness of deity is in Him. See, you and I have the attributes of God. His divine nature. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive His divine nature, but that don't make you deity. That doesn't make you God. Amen? Woo! He's deity Himself. He wasn't just filled with God like you and I are. He was God in bodily form. Not part of God, but all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him. Bodily, there's only one body. There's not three bodies. One body. He's in the Godhead. I mean, the God, excuse me, the Godhead is in Him. He's not in the Godhead. The Godhead's in Him. The Godhead being the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The Godhead is in Him. He's not in the Godhead. All, say with me again, all the fullness of the Godhead. Okay, so I got a little excited there. Excuse me, I'm trying not to be Pentecostal. But I can't help it. So for in, in Him dwelleth all the pleroma, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen? And you're completed in Him which is the head of all principality and power. Amen? Okay, so then we're on 119 again. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Alright? Now, I pray over you right now that somebody comes and, and talks to you about the doctrine of the Trinity and you kind of just, you know, looked around all morning and I pray that happens to you. I really do. Because you, you need to start using what you're being taught. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you, you run across enough of them like I have, you, you know... It makes you sharp. I mean, it sharpens you. Some of you don't care. God cares. Right? Look at First Timothy three sixteen. Paul. I'm just gonna let the Lord have His way. I don't know how far I'm gonna get this morning, but I'm gonna let the Lord have His way. First Timothy three sixteen. Everybody all right? And Paul says it this way, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. See that word manifested? It's a biblical term. We believe that God was manifest in the what? Flesh. So again, once again, we see Paul attesting to the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus is God. In justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 
1 Timothy 3, 16. Now, look. Great is the mystery of what? Godliness. What is the mystery? God was manifested in the flesh. Amen? Now, it's a mystery. I know, I know biblically how it happened, but it's still a mystery how the humanity and deity of Jesus were so bonded together in Him. Amen? Does that make sense? That He was, there were distinctions in Him as to His humanity and His deity. Distinctions means different, but not separation. Amen? But He was at the same time, even though there are distinctions in Him, human and God, amen, they were still indivisible. You couldn't divide Him. You couldn't separate Him. Now, that's a mystery. Okay? Did that make sense to you? Did that make sense to you? I'm not trying to just talk big talk words. Let me ask you the question. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? In Jesus Christ, there is distinction. Human nature, divine nature. Human and God. There's distinction, right? That they were so bound together or infused together, okay, that they were indivisible. You could not divide His you understand? It's not like you got a human Jesus inside of that body and a divine Jesus inside of that body kind of bumping into each other. They were so bound together and one. Amen? They weren't, there were no three centers, three centers of consciousness working there. There were no three minds in Him. Amen? He did have a human conscience and a divine conscience, but they worked so closely together they were infused together not confused but infused together so that the divine consciousness God amen his self-awareness God's awareness of himself divine consciousness when he became a man added to himself a human conscience which is man uh, the humanity being aware of itself amen so God being aware of himself added to another dimension when he became a man and that is human awareness. Amen? A divine conscience and a human conscience. A divine will and a human will. Not confused. And not three separate, if you have a trinity, not three separate consciousness. Amen? Apart from each other. But working together. So that His deity, His awareness uh, as God and His humanity, His awareness as humanity were so infused together that you could not separate them. Not three centers of consciousness. Does that make sense to you? It does say praise the Lord. Because as great was the mystery of Godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. The mystery is not the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. Mystery. How that happened. How that works. Do you understand? He was unique from any of you. You have one nature. Human. He had a dual nature. Human and deity. Dogs have one nature. It's called an animal nature. You got one nature. Human. He was unique. He not only had a human nature. He had a divine nature inside of him. And they weren't bouncing off of each other. The distinction is between his humanity and his deity, but they were 
indivisible. Does that make sense? Okay. It's awesome. I love it. Now that's where the mystery is. And that'll call you to stay up most of the night. Is working on the psychology of Jesus. That'll keep you up all night long. Amen. Say praise the Lord. How that was working inside. How those two consciences fused together, worked together. Okay? As God, he knew he was God. As man, he was in touch with his humanity. I thirst. Amen? But that all worked together, not separate, but together. That's a mystery. And I'm just going to throw it out to you. Where is the seat of his personality? Is it in his divine nature? Is it in his human nature? Where is the seat of his personality? Okay. So that's what I'm talking about. This is where the mystery is. Hallelujah. Okay, now you're going to have to stay here. You, I mean, today, and then you're probably going to have to come back next week unless I go all day long. If I go all day long, you won't have to listen to this message next week. I probably won't go all day long. Okay? Does anybody understand what I just said? Does anybody understand what I just said? So the mystery is not that God was manifest in the flesh. It doesn't say great is the mystery of the Holy Trinity. The Trinity is not even in the Bible. It's never used. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Okay, so we know what the mystery is. It's a great mystery, though. How that act became into actuality. Okay. Wow. So anyway, Paul attested to the fact that God was manifested in the flesh. Put a period on it. Colossians 2 and uh, 9 and Colossians 1. Was it verse? Gave it to you. 19. The Bible says, Paul says, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him. He was God manifested in the flesh. Okay, Peter. Hmm. Jesus asked his disciples one day, Who do men say that I am? Okay. He wanted to know what men thought about him. He's still asking the question today. Who do you say he is? He asked the Pharisees. Correct? What think you of Jesus? Whose son is he? He wants to know who you think he is. Ask his apples. Who do men say that I am? We know the story. We know the answer. All right. Peter came. Peter said this. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Sometimes when you use the term son biblically, when the Bible uses the term son, it's talking about his humanity. But Son of God speaks not just about His humanity at times, but His deity. Son of God, deity. Right? Okay. Does that make sense? Whew. I think I'm going to go one other place because this is important. I was going to stop in, uh, well, two other places. Let me go to, uh, to Paul one more time. Whew. Heavy. Important. Okay, 1 Timothy, 
is God giving you understanding? Because I can get it from and teach you, but you still have to have a revelation of it for yourself. Amen? In Matthew 16, to Peter, I've already jumped one, but I'm going to go back to Paul. Matthew 16. Jesus says, after Peter says, Thou the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says to him, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven. See, I can teach you, but you're going to have to pray, God, give me a revelation of it. Amen? That's why when I teach you the Word of the Lord, it's not just theological things that are coming to my brain. I have a revelation of it. God gave me a revelation of it. Does it mean I have, that, I, that I don't study? I have to spend hours and study. But I have a revelation of it. Amen? That He's the Son of God. Virgin born, God come in flesh. First Timothy two five. Whew. For there is what? One God. How many gods are there? One God. And one mediator. One go between. Amen. One reconciler. One referee. Amen. One umpire. Right? There is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Between God and man. Now listen. For Him to be a mediator, for Him to represent God, He had to be God. For Him to represent man, He had to be man. Okay? So the man Christ Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Okay, amen. But he is God, so he can represent God. He's a man, so he can represent man. Say mediator. Wow. He had to be God, and he had to be man, which means God had to come and be born on planet Earth. Just like you as a human being was born on planet Earth, God, listen to me carefully, very carefully. This is important. Okay? Important to understand the Christology. If God could have redeemed man without becoming a man, He wouldn't have waited so long. The moment that Adam sinned in the garden, if God could redeem man he would have done it then but God you with me God could not redeem man because he had to become a man in order to redeem man he had to be born on planet earth that's why time now let me explain what I'm saying in order to redeem man we're redeemed by the blood. By the blood. God can't die as deity. As deity, God can't die. You understand? So He could not redeem man because God cannot die. And uh, Jesus said God is a spirit, right? Um, he said when He rose from the dead, handle me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. 
So God is a spirit that doesn't have flesh and bones. He doesn't have a body. Okay? Therefore, He didn't have blood. So he, God, in His deity, could not redeem man. He could not die for man because deity can't die. He had to be born here on planet earth where you as a human being was born. So he came in the form of a man and added to himself your nature. And by doing that, he added to himself blood, flesh, bones. Now, God can die not as to His deity, but God can die in His sonship. So that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, we do not say that only a human died there. He was more than just a human dying on that cross. He was God in sonship. Not God dying as deity, but God in sonship dying. More than a man died on Calvary that day. He was God. Does that make sense? God could not die in His deity. So He had to take on the form of a man and become a man and be born here just like you were. So He would have flesh, bones, and blood. Acts 20, 28, the Bible says, look at it. You alright? Man, you talk about anointing. There's a heavy anointing in this place. Look at, okay, look at Acts 20, 28. Hallelujah. Now remember, his blood wasn't the blood that came from Joseph or Adam. Amen? It was pure. It was incorruptible. There was no sin in it, no sin nature. He was perfect, sinless. He had no carnal nature. He had no sin nature as the virgin-born Son of God. Hey, look at Acts 20, 28. You there? Somebody read it for me. Save me some time. Would you please? Acts 20, 28. Okay. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. God said, the, Acts 20, 28, the Bible says, God purchased the church with His own blood. When did an eternal spirit, when did God, as God, have blood? When He took on the form of a man. And the blood that flowed through the veins of Jesus, God in sonship, was not just the blood of a man. It was the blood of God in sonship. God coming in human form. So, in order for Him to be a mediator, in order for Him to redeem us, He had to be God. And He had to be man. Because God as deity could not die for you. Amen? He didn't have your nature. And He wasn't born here. Okay? See, that's why it's so important. That's why it's a necessity. The virgin born is an absolute necessity that He be God come in the flesh. 
right? And I have a friend. I still consider him a friend. Uh, he's come and taught prophecy to you. You know who I'm making reference to. And I'd sit, we'd sit in our house and I'd talk oneness of God with him for hours. Okay? He wasn't taught, he didn't have this teaching. We'd, we'd talk about the oneness of God versus the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? And I said, okay. I said, I'm going to give you one verse I want you to go think about. Acts 20, 28. He has purchased the church with his own blood. God did. Explain that to me. If Jesus is not God in sonship. Well, he went to his room. He thought about it for a while. <laughs> Amen. It's simple. God came in sonship, added to himself that nature in order to be a mediator. Amen? To be a redeemer. Okay, now, Peter, we talked about Peter already, about the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had a revelation of it. And then we have in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. I'm going to get the job done. I'm going to keep serving the Lord. I don't say that arrogantly. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to get the job done. I'm going to live for Him. Okay? I'm just, I'm not going to get caught up in your drama. I'm not going to do it. I don't care who you are. i got a job to do. I've got a call in my life. Okay? So don't expect me to call, be caught up in your drama. You fight your battle. I'll help you fight it, but you're going to have to fight. Y'all come in here, some of you come in here with so much drama, you can't even hear the Word of God because you've got so much drama in your life. Man, this, let me tell you something. There's something that God holds even above His name, and that's His Word. His Word. You think about that one for a minute. How important His Word is. Anybody hearing anything? You understand what I'm saying? You can be so drowned by drama and so much going on in your life that it hinders your ability to hear. It doesn't hinder my ability to teach it. Okay, let's look at it. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18. There. So Peter attested to the that he's the Son of the living God. Praise the Lord. Okay. Let's say, okay. For as much as you, you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. So in the mind of God, God already knew before the foundation of the world that man would fall. He already knew in, in God's mind, He already knew He would come in, uh, in the form of a man so that the Son existed not in actuality with God as a second person, but the Son existed in the mind of God and He was slain from the foundation of the world. But the Bible says, but He's manifested when? in these last times for you. What was in the mind of God became an actuality in the last times. Do you understand? Okay. Do you really understand? How did, how did the Son exist in the mind of God? 
The prophets spoke of him prophetically, not that he existed in actuality as a pre-existed eternal son. Okay. In the mind of God, God knew he would come in the form of man, God, in sonship, but as to when it actually happened was when he was conceived. Amen. When he was begotten. You can't have a begotten son and eternal son at the same time. He either had a beginning or he's eternal. In the mind of God, he existed. But as to actuality is when he was conceived. Amen. Praise the Lord. He had a beginning as the son, not as God. Okay, y'all still here? You awake? So the Bible says here it's the blood of Christ. Acts 20, 28 says the blood of God. See how it works? They're so bonded together. His humanity and his deity. Indivisible, but yet distinguishable. Okay? There's a difference between his humanity and his deity, but they're bonded together. Indivisible. Okay. Anyway. John, John, the Apostle John, says this, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was what? With God. And the Word was God. Okay, so God, right? John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacle among us. And we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word, which was with God, was God. The Bible says, tabernacle among us. And we beheld His glory. Okay, so, okay, let's go there, because I want you to be able to see it. John 1, 1, look at it. John 1 1 in the beginning was the word say the word <coughs> notice it doesn't say in the beginning was the son it says in the beginning was the logos in the beginning was the logos in the beginning was the word are you with me please look at it carefully okay it doesn't say in the beginning was the son the Greek word is logos in the beginning was the logos all right? In the beginning was the word, logos, the thought, the plan, the concept. Okay? The thought, the plan, the blueprint, the concept. In the beginning was the word, logos, thought, plan, concept. And the word, thought, plan, concept, that's logos, was with God. And the word was God. Because you can't separate his word from himself. You can't separate his plan, his blueprint, his concept from himself. Okay? The same was in the beginning with God. Ooh, that's a good word. With God. I love it. Because you can't separate a man's word from himself, right? Okay. Ah, I'm so tempted to take that word with. But for the sake of time, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You see that? 
the Word that was with God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You see that? Who, was, who dwelt among us? The Word. God. God's plan. God's thought. God's blueprint. Personified. In Jesus Christ. Made flesh. Woo! Hallelujah, man. I'm just... Okay, John 4, 1 through 3 tells you that if you do not believe that, you're a false prophet. If you, don't, if you do not believe that, that Jesus has come in the flesh, but let me give you the verses. First John 4, let me make sure. Yeah, I think it is. First John 4. Y'all okay up there? Praise the Lord. Forgive me, I'm trying not to be Pentecostal this morning. I'm really trying to just, just teach you without getting too excited. Some of you are saying, well, I know all this, Pastor. Well, praise the Lord. It didn't hurt to go over it again. But, but before I get through, there'll be some things you don't know. Okay? So it doesn't hurt you if you already know this. First John 4, 1 through 3. Y'all all right? Getting hungry? Remember I talked about these bodies? Uh, horrible. Okay. First <coughs> John four. Beloved, be not believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God and this is the spirit of Antichrist where you heard that it should come and even now already is in the world now obviously he was dealing with Gnosticism that said that Jesus could not have been a man okay because flesh is evil flesh humanity is not evil carnal nature is okay so anyway so if you didn't confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he was an actual human being, a complete human being, he said, you are a false prophet. A complete, total human being, body, soul, and spirit in his humanity. Okay? If you did not say that, if you did not teach that and believe that, that God came in a complete human being, you have the spirit of Antichrist. Okay? specifically dealing with the doctrine of Gnosticism, which we taught you last week, or the week before. I think it's last week. Okay, 2 John, 2 John 7 through 10, you there? For many deceivers are entering into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the deceiver, a deceiver, an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, 
but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the what? Doctrine of Christ hath not. Who? God. You with me? So it says that many confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, so they don't confess his complete humanity. But also in connection to that doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, is that he is God. Come in a complete humanity. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father, and I'm getting so excited I'm about to take off, and his Son. You see that? The true Christology of the Bible is to see that Jesus is God and humanity. God and man in one. If you don't abide in that doctrine that He is God come in a complete humanity, the Bible says you are not of God. Let's go out of here. Now there's some that teach they, they have concepts that are wrong. And you know, I'm not saying they, they're antichrist or false prophets. They just haven't been taught correctly. But if you, you know, once the truth is given to you and you reject it, you still hold on to the lie, then you fall into that category. How many of you believe in the complete humanity of Jesus? Body, soul, and spirit. He had a human spirit, human soul, human body. How many of you believe in the deity of Jesus? That God was in him. All the forces of God. Okay, you have the doctrine of Christology. You have the doctrine of Christ. What, what time is it? Some of y'all looking really tired and hungry. So I'll help you out. Because once I get going, man, I can go. I'm just, I'm so excited right now. 12-14. I've got two hours. <laughs> Pull out the bananas, huh? Praise the Lord. Okay, so we see then the virgin birth of Jesus Christ as God come in human flesh, complete human humanity. We see that uh, attested to when it was announced to Mary and announced to Joseph. We see Jesus attesting to it to himself, uh, of himself, the Father. He said, this is my blood son in whom I'm well pleased. We see the Apostle Paul making the statement. We see Peter. We see John, praise God. All New Testament writers attest to this fact. Now, as to his historical, his birth his, historically, it is a historical fact that Jesus Christ was born. And we've just taken the time by the word of the Lord to show you the details of that. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know anybody that says that Jesus Christ wasn't born historically. Do you? I mean, if, 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 even if you're an atheist, you will still declare that Jesus, a man named Jesus Christ was born. Historical fact. You can't get around it. 
if you deny that, you're, you're not even worthy to even be here. Amen? You're not even worthy to go, play out, go outside and play with the reindeer. Well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> pick that up. You, know, you pick up stuff, you know. It's 12.15, you said, right? Okay, let me get into the necessity of it. Uh, the necessity of the virgin birth. Real fast, I promise you, I'm not going to keep you for two hours. I would just, you know. See, if I tell you two hours and I, and I quit in an hour, then it's not so bad for you, right? Then I'd be lying. I shouldn't do that. Okay, necessity. Now, why is it necessity that God come in human form and be virgin born? It's necessity because God is a covenant God. Why would God come in human form like He did the virgin birth in order to save us from our sins? Why did He do that? Because in the Garden of Eden, when He made Adam and Eve, you know, theologically it's called the Edenic, Edenic Covenant. God is a covenant God. He made a covenant with man to take care of him. Even if man sins against God. Because God is a covenant God and He declared He would take care of him even when he fell. Because God is a covenant keeping God. It became necessary for God by His obligation to man to come in the form of a man to die for you in order that you might have the possibility of being saved. Because He's a covenant-keeping God. He didn't just make man, put Him on planet Earth and said, you're on your own. He is a covenant-keeping God, a heavenly Father. And I'm going to make man, but I... Hallelujah. I'm not only Elohim, the Creator, God, the God of my power, but I am Shaddai. I will feed Him. I will nurture Him. I will take care of Him as a mother takes care of her babies. I'll feed them like a mother feeds her baby at the breast. So the virgin birth, it was a necessity because God made that covenant with man. Isn't that beautiful? The kind of God that we serve. It's like a daddy saying, okay, I brought him into the world. You know? And they, they definitely got sin nature in them. But I'm still their daddy. And do, do what I can to help them. Hallelujah to the man. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm not going to help them along in their sin. I'm not going to do that. But if they need a cup of water, give them a cup of water. Amen? He's a covenant God. So His obligation for His creation was a reason for it. A man must die for a man. Now, this is the reason why He came in the burden of work again we go back to mediatorship and redemption, correct? 
We already covered that just a little bit. A man must die for a man, and this is by God's own law. Okay? A sinless animal, no animal ever sinned against God. So a sinless animal could make atonement or be used to cover sin. But because an animal is not human, amen, a human being had to die for a human being. And that's according to God's own law. Amen. Now he could do it, he could set up a temporary arrangement whereby a sinless animal could die for the sinner. Amen. Called substitution. But ultimately a man had to die for a man. Are you here today? Okay. You remember when Abraham's about to offer up his son, Isaac? When Abraham the father takes his son up that mountain, he's about to offer him. It's a type of Jesus dying on the cross. You get a revelation at that point that a man has to die for a man. Up to that point, it's been animal sacrifices, sinless animals being the substitution for man's atonement. But when Abraham in type takes Isaac and lays him on that altar, we have a revelation. A man must die for a man. Okay. And that man is the son of the father. His own law. You can read it Psalm 49, 7 through 8. Psalm 51, verse 5. Psalm 58 and verse 3. Okay? So he would become a man, uh, but in becoming a man, he would be sinless, not like Adam. Adam had sin nature. Does that make sense? And I'm not going to repeat myself about, you know, what I said about God, that he could not die. God as deity could not die, so he had to come in the form of a man and die. God in sonship died. Not just a man died on Calvary, but God in sonship died on Calvary. Very important. Okay? Because people will point a finger at us and say, well, you just say that, the, that a human being died on the cross. No, we say God in humanity. God in sonship died. It had to be that way, according to his law. Um, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, he made a covenant. It's called the New Covenant. In order to establish that new covenant or the blood covenant, he must die. Okay? God could not redeem as God. He must come in manhood. We've already covered that. Okay? Say praise the Lord. And I will stop there. Hallelujah. And now you go home and you can process all the information. Now, the Lord willing... We're going to continue next morning, Sunday morning, the nature of his incarnation. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. Okay? And we'll just read it for you real fast. The nature of his incarnation. So please turn to Philippians chapter 2. And this passage dealing with the humanity of Jesus. Very important for you to understand that. The humanity of Jesus. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 2. 
Verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And he being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This teaches us the nature of the incarnation of Jesus. The focus in the passage is not his deity. The focus in the passage is his humanity. Okay? Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, Lord, to be upon the reading of your word, the teaching of your word today. We ask, Father, that you would give this people a revelation of your virgin birth, that you're the mighty God in Christ. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the anointing to teach it, the anointing to hear it, the anointing to understand it. God, we thank you for a revelation by your spirit. Thank you for the truth that's in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God, the incarnation is God became a man. Amen. Dual nature, 100% God, 100% man at the same time. Distinctions can be made between his humanity and his deity, but they, he is indivisible. You cannot divide him. And so that is what the virgin birth is about, the incarnation is about. God bless you for being in service this morning. Amen. We'll see you tonight. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Brother, praise the Lord.